Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. It ain't over yet. Just moments ago, the president had uh, this to say about the reopening of the FBI background investigation into Judge Brett Kavanaugh. He said, uh, I'm just getting the copy in now, that the FBI will have free reign, that they're going to do whatever they have to do, whatever it is they do, they'll be doing things that we've never even thought of. That and more. Take a listen. The FBI, as you know, is all over talking to everybody. And I would expect he's a very high quality person. I would expect it's going to turn out very well for the judge. There's never been anybody that's been looked at like Judge Kavanaugh. I think that it's going to work out very well. But the FBI, I believe, is doing a really great job. They have been all over already. Yeah, they have free reign. They're going to do whatever they have to do, whatever it is they do. They'll be doing things that we never even thought of. And hopefully at the conclusion, uh, everything will be fine. Those comments come after Arizona Senator Jeff Flake, of course, at the 11th hour, threw a grenade into the Senate Judiciary hearing uh, to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. Just minutes before the scheduled committee vote, he announced he needed more time to learn about the allegations levied by Professor Christine Blasey Ford the day before. I think it would be uh, proper to delay the floor vote uh, for up to, but not more than one week, uh, in order to let the FBI um, continue uh, to do an investigation limited in time and scope uh, to the current allegations that are there. Confusion and chaos followed and engulfed the committee with even the chairman and ranking member Chuck Grassley and Dianne Feinstein seemingly confused as to what it all meant. They weren't alone. Senator Lindsey Graham, who was not in favor of allowing an FBI investigation, faced a crowd of reporters afterward and it hit him. And somebody's got to explain this to Trump, so I guess that'll be my job. As we know, the president agreed, ordering the FBI to conduct a supplemental investigation to be completed in less than one week. We'll talk a little later with our own Phil Mudd about what the FBI can accomplish and deliver in a week. But Judge Kavanaugh has also agreed to continue to cooperate, as has his friend Mark Judge, the other witness to the alleged attempted assault. So it's begun. The FBI investigation is being run right now out of the Washington, D.C. office with oversight at the highest levels, likely drafting in extra analysts to help meet that deadline. Here's the deal. This was, for a number of reasons, the right thing to do. First and foremost, it hopefully gives Professor Ford some assurance that her allegations are not being ignored. She deserves this investigation. 
but politically it also makes sense for Republicans. It gives possible no votes, Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, an opportunity to get to yes. It removes a major objection by Democrats, and ultimately, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, it won't be in spite of an investigation. Let's be clear, though, it's not likely to change many minds, minds on both sides of the aisle that were made up long before either Ford or Kavanaugh spoke. But it is important that we as a country take this seriously and investigate it thoroughly rather than railroading it through just because we can. One postscript before I get to my first guest. As I said last week, this moment in history is challenging not just our political process, our political parties, Brett Kavanaugh and those who oppose him. It's challenging all of us. How will we behave when the stakes are so high and the climate is so divisive and partisanship uh, is so naked? Some are rising to that challenge. Others, painfully, are not. We know of the death threats to Ford and Kavanaugh. Some on the left are comparing Kavanaugh to Bill Cosby, a serial rapist, and Roy Moore, an alleged pedophile. Others on the right are using hideous language to demean Kavanaugh's accusers. One Cretan on Fox News was fired for calling them skanks. Well, yesterday, a new low, a very troubling column in USA Today, answered Kavanaugh's own fears that because of the character assassination he believes he has endured, he may never be able to do something he loves again, like coach his girls' basketball team. This USA Today sports writer said no, he should not, writing, the U.S. Senate may yet confirm Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, but he should stay off basketball courts for now when kids are around. He offered the scandals in gymnastics, where one doctor sexually abused 265 girls as the reason why. That's right, Brett Kavanaugh is now a child predator, and you wonder why he is so angry. To my friends on the left and the right, I am begging you, be better than this. We must be better than this. No matter how emotionally this is affecting you and me, Brett Kavanaugh deserves better than this. Christine Ford and his other accusers deserve better than this. Women and men deserve better than this. This next week will be even more challenging. But in getting through it, let's not destroy ourselves in the process. Okay, let me bring in CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger. Um, Gloria, thanks for joining me tonight. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, The president has been relatively well behaved (laughs) through the past couple of days, complimenting Ford, obviously allowing for an FBI investigation. What are you hearing from the White House as to his sort of mood? Well, I, I think, first of all, the, the president, after, after uh, Professor Ford testified, was worried that his nominee was going to go down the drain. And then yeah. Kavanaugh came out strong uh, with a big audience of one, I might add, which was Donald mm. Trump. And Trump was really pleased about it. Mm. And I think what's going on now in the White House is they believe, as you just outlined in, in the deal, that they believe that in a way this could turn out better for everyone. Because mm. the FBI could help clear Kavanaugh's name if nothing, if they find nothing uh, that they can use to corroborate 
Professor Ford's charges so then he could get through, maybe even win some red state Democrats uh, in the process. Right. And um, if there's a problem, they'll go to another plan, although the president uh, says there is, there is no other plan. So I think right. they've sort of talked him into it. Do you get the sense, you've covered Trump for a, a while, um, <laughs> yeah. do you get the sense that this restraint is maybe is a sign of confidence in Kavanaugh and the process? Or do you think it's a uh, sort of deliberate lowering of expectations in case he does have to bail on him or, or right. go to that plan B that he, is, he, he doesn't have? You know, I think what it is simply, S.E., is a matter of math. I think they mm -hmm. went to, to the president and said, we don't have the votes. Right. And we have to do it. Because otherwise, there's no way to get Collins and Murkowski. And I'm told that, uh, that Jeff Flake checked with them uh, before he did this to make sure that they would agree with this idea. And they thought it yeah. was a very good idea. Possibility of getting Joe Manchin. He's in West Virginia tonight. So, you know, I think it was pure math. The, the president's a realist. And it was stunning to me, I don't know if it was to you, to hear him praise the FBI for the first time, <laughs> saying they're, they're, they're doing this great investigation and it'll be, it'll be terrific. Uh, no, that was that among was. many other stunning things. Stunning. Um, right. I, I want to ask you about Jeff Flake. I've interviewed him a number of times. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have, too. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to imagine him feeling morally conflicted this week. Uh, that sure. is very much in keeping with his character. He said the elevator incident uh, afterwards struck a chord, but also that this is about the integrity of the court. What do you make of, of that? I think uh, it did strike a chord with him. Yeah. Uh, the, the women in the, in the elevator, who, whom he, I must say, listened to, you know, a lot of senators, you know this, Essie, they would have the doors closed. Yeah. On people coming in and yelling at them. He did not. He stayed yeah. there and listened and took it. And he had been talking to his Democratic colleague of Delaware, Chris Coons, about the week right. delay. Coons spoke about the week delay. And I think it's sort of he's been conflicted about this all along. And mm -hmm. I think he was worried about the committee. He was worried about the Congress. He had just given a speech about how how bad and toxic things had become, and he's leaving. Right, so he wanted right. to do something. Um, and he, uh, Jeff Flake, and Chris Coons will be, we should say, on 60 Minutes tomorrow to talk yeah. about how this all came down. I know that'll be really interesting. Yeah. Do you think that, in addition to all the things you just laid out uh, as to the reasons why Jeff Flake did it, also with Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin in mind, uh, do you think yeah. that that was a factor to try and give them an opportunity to get to yes? Absolutely, because because as, as Jeff Flake points out, he's a conservative. He wants yeah. to vote for Kavanaugh. He did vote for him in committee with this right. with this caveat. And he wants to bring along these Republican women and some conservative Democrats. You know, he 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 agrees with Kavanaugh. So he wouldn't have done anything without getting their approval. And right. so there were a lot of phone calls back and forth. And I gather they may have even had dinner together uh, last night was reported. So, you know, I think they're all they're all in this together. So lastly, you know, you know, all the players. What do you think Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell <laughs> are thinking right now? Well, Mitch McConnell is not happy, as you, yeah. you might you might yeah. think. He wanted to get this through. He had a procedural vote Friday night on this so that once the report is done, bingo, they can just approve it on the on the Senate floor. If 
if all goes well with Kavanaugh. He just wants to get this done. So he wasn't happy, but he understood, you know, he counts votes better than almost anybody. <laughs> right. That he just didn't have the votes. And I think Chuck Schumer feels that the Democrats have done something that their base wanted them to do mm -hmm. and that the Democrats are uh, are going to get their investigation, which they wanted. Hmm. Thanks, Gloria. Uh, listen, sure. get some rest. It's going to be a busy week. Another <laughs> one, too. okay? You we too. need you. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, next up, how the Kavanaugh confirmation battle is dividing an already polarized electorate. And later this hour, Rod Rosenstein. Remember him? Well, he's still not in the clear. And Trump could decide his fate next week. Well, no matter what happens this week, uh, America is watching, literally, more than 20 million people tuned in to watch Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Ford testify on Thursday. And that doesn't even include digital viewership and streaming. But will that translate into votes in November? For more on this, I want to bring in former executive director of the New York State Democratic Party Democratic strategist Basil Smeichel and former communications director for Ted Cruz, CNN political commentator Amanda Carpenter. Okay, guys, let me ask this question this way. Um, as I said, 20 million viewers. That's yeah. like Oscar night mm -hmm. level. Not quite Super Bowl, but like playoffs. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's at least because we don't know how many other people were watching it on their you know devices, on airplanes, that sort of thing. Um, 80 million people or thereabout, voted in the last midterm election. Mm. How do you look at this? Is it 20 million isn't even a plurality of 80 million, and so therefore you could say the majority were not watching? Or do you say 20 million is a sizable chunk of people to be tuning in, therefore it means X for November? Basil, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I think it's important because people are paying attention. We Democrats have talked incessantly about how much uh, this affects policy, there is already a motivated Democratic electorate. Yes. So there are people that are uh, attuned to this, in part because this is Donald Trump's second appointee. Oh, yeah. We're concerned about it, potentially a third. Possibly a third, uh, right, and, a three. And so if yeah. we don't stop, the, 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 the feeling is that if we don't stop this here, um, it will transform the court for generations yeah. to come. So it's, something's got to be done here. I get that urgency yeah. on the part of Democrats, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but Amanda, on the other hand, Kavanaugh has managed to do something really interesting. That is unite pro-Trumpers yeah. and never-Trumpers. Um, and I heard from a ton of people this week, people in New York City, Boston, Arizona, Texas, all over, who were angry when they saw Brett Kavanaugh uh, his opening statement. They were angry at Democrats mm -hmm. and the process and the way they think he's been treated. Can that result in some turnout too? Yes, this is a supercharged atmosphere. And I do right. think we'd get too caught up into evaluating who wins, who's going to benefit yeah, yeah. from this, because that is not the way history will judge this. Mm. Um, what we're looking at is how we resolve sexual allegations and yes. disputes in our country. Yes. That is how all of this will be viewed 10, 30, 40 years no, from I've been, now. I've been and saying that's that why for it's two a dividing weeks, moment. That's this why is about how we mm -hmm. respond yes. in this moment. What we do. Yes. Because at the end of the day, we will make a judgment call. And there's interest about because this. this is an yeah. open question. This isn't an open, shut case where there's been no, other isn't. accusations. Sometimes you have a text, you have a video. There's a lot of 
um, choosing who to believe, but the problem is we don't know. No, we don't. But exactly Republicans what happened. are angry. Yes, and but I'm this is why everyone's watching because we don't know how to have these conversations. But I'm wondering if mm -hmm. they are going to turn that anger into voting. There, there, there will November. be mobilization on on the right, no question about it. But let mm -hmm. me bring those two things Go together ahead. because what I what I think happened when you because uh, uh, Dr. Ford was credible. Yeah, she was she was amazing. Yeah. Um, but when Brett Kavanaugh came up, I tweeted this. I said, he's performing. I understand he might in some ways be defending himself. There's no question about that. What do you mean in but he's some also, ways? No, because I, but I believe in other ways he was both petulant, he was petulant, he was indignant, and he was partisan. And what, and to so me, So I what hear I think, that framing by Democrats, yeah. but my point is I oh. hear a completely different mm -hmm. framing by Republicans. Absolutely. And I, I just want to point out, 2016, mm -hmm. there was a silent majority of people that the polls did not catch, did not see. And I'm wondering if you think Democrats should be worried about the silent majority yeah. that was as angry as Brett Kavanaugh was what I about said, them coming out in November. What I have said is that you cannot take the way that he presented himself that day for granted because mm -hmm. there are Trump supporters that like exactly the way that he came after Democrats, that he they love exactly the way that he presented, and it will motivate them. Mm -hmm. um, Amanda, if you are Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski yeah. and you've been given this week and maybe this, this gift of time, mm -hmm. well, do you think we'll see... Do you think they can get to a place of yes? I think they can get to a place of yes. Without Here, being penalized at home? Um, yes, but here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that the FBI investigation won't give us any more clarity yeah. than right. we have today. Um, you know, there's been other FBI investigations that haven't fully resolved things, um, such as Hillary Clinton's email. Look at the House investigation of Benghazi. So I do worry this just delays things. And what I think all senators need to have way on their conscience is that this is a lifetime appointment. For Republican senators, this is an appointment that you are so invested in that everyone backed Donald Trump over, you know, very controversial circumstances. So you have for to this, know, yeah. you have to do more than mm. believe him in this. You have to know he is the right pick because even if he is cleared of all the sexual allegations, um, there's going to be a question of his overall truthfulness. Mm -hmm. I fully believe that this debate can change in a heartbeat right. over his well, previous we saw the drinking. Last week. My gosh. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, this changes hour to hour. And so, minute to minute. Yeah. you know, everyone needs to know with certainty he well, is the right pick for this. No seat. one knows this better mm -hmm. than Joe Biden, who today, you know, in this, this day and age, is still having to comment Back on, on his, and yeah. reconcile mm -hmm. what he did in that Anita Hill hearing 25 years later. Right. Um, Basil, I'm wondering if you think if you're Joe Manchin or maybe Heidi Heitkamp, um, can you get to a place of yes? Or are they, do they at this point have to sort of I, vote against this? I guy? have to think they're all sort of in that, in that Senator Flake moment where they're trying to figure out, mm -hmm. I have party uh, but I ha and I have country. And you know, everybody's saying country over party. But this has got to be one of those defining decisions for their entire career, because you're right. absolutely right. This is a lifetime appointment. And I don't think they'll ever be 100 percent certain, but they have to get to right. a place where they can at least defend their decision. And I don't know mm -hmm. if they'll ever feel that way. Defend it now. Defend it 20, in 2018. Years from now. Right. Defend it in 2020. Right. And you're right. 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. That's why this was a big week. And it's going to be another Big week. Thank you guys for helping me uh, break it down, Basil and Amanda. All right, coming up, 
just how realistic is it for the FBI to complete their Kavanaugh investigation in less than a week? And later in the show, is Rod Rosenstein's job still in jeopardy or has he weathered the storm? Breaking tonight, Elon Musk is on his way out as chairman of Tesla Motors. As part of a settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Musk will resign as chairman of the board within 45 days. The SEC brought securities fraud charges against Musk last week for misleading investors on Twitter, claiming that he secured funding at $420 per share to take Tesla private, a move that boosted the stock price dramatically. While Musk will remain on as CEO, there is also a $40 million fine. Half will come from Tesla Corp and the other half from Elon Musk's own pocket. The money will be distributed to harmed investors under a court-approved process. We'll be right back. In the red file tonight, the FBI has been given a week to investigate the allegations against Judge Brett Kavanaugh, and they are hitting the ground running as we speak. What could they find? What could this mean for the Supreme Court nominee? Well, I have the perfect guest, CNN counterterrorism analyst, former FBI senior intelligence advisor, Phil Mudd. Okay, first, Phil Mudd, um, the president's direction, I thought, was for this investigation to be limited in scope. Just uh, an hour or so ago, we heard him say, yeah, they have free reign. They're going to do whatever they have to do. Square those two things for me. Let me clear this up. When the FBI gets a directive to reinvestigate this, they're going to be looked at, as you know, by the Senate Democrats and Republicans for months to come. And I assume Chris Ray, the FBI director, will be interviewed by this, interrogated by the Senate committee on this for months to come. So I don't care what the what the White House says about limited in scope. If I'm the FBI, I'm saying our integrity is at stake. After this initial week, everybody's going to look at this. The news media is going to check everything we say. So if I'm USC, I'm saying don't worry or don't think about the limited in scope. Think about what are the fundamental questions? What do the women say? What are the issues about Judge Kavanaugh's behavior? How do those correspond to what he told, told the Oversight Committee? I don't think this will be limited in scope. I do think it will be fast. So, well, just to clarify that, will it be limited in who they can interview? Will it be limited in the allegations that they are trying to get uh, facts about? I think so. There's a couple of broad things that I, I think I would consider. The first is obviously interviewing women who have bought, brought credible, credible allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. But as soon as you go into those interviews, for example, the, the, the interviews with friends, family, with associates, classmates from 35 years ago, with people whom the women have spoken with in the past couple of years. Let me give you a scenario. Several of them say, one of the problems we have with this is that the environment that, uh, 35 years ago, including that environment where Judge Kavanaugh was present, had a bunch of people who were so drunk they can't remember. I raise that because immediately you're not just talking about allegations about what women said, you have to investigate what was Judge Kavanaugh like? What was his character? Could he remember what happened on that night? I'm not accusing of anything. Right. I'm just saying my first question would be, what's the environment around the allegations? Hmm. So you mentioned you think this will be fast. Why? A lot of people are wondering how this can all be sort of sewn up in a week. 
Well, first, one of the most complicated things in any investigation in 2018 is digital exhaust. I want your phone. I want your email. I want your financial records. All that's digital. Going back to this era, you're not going to have a lot of digital information. You're going to have a lot of interviews. And I can tell you, the FBI is going to say, I don't care how many people you need in Chicago or Detroit or Boston. You got them. So they're going to interview people. They'll re-interview people. They got to collate all that information and they got to write it down by Friday. I personally think that's a bit fast, especially if you get a curveball. If somebody, for example, on Thursday says, you know, there's somebody else who was critical, his girlfriend when he was, you know, a junior in high school. But, you know, let's remember, Chris Ray has an out. I could see him also calling the committee on Friday saying we're 80 percent done. We can give it to you now or we can give it to you next Wednesday. I think maybe two weeks would have been better, Mm. but there's not going to be a ton of people here and there's no digital media you got to review. So many of the people the FBI will talk to have already provided sworn statements uh, to the Judiciary Committee. But how will the FBI's questioning of them provide some maybe different results? I'll give you one area, and I think this is the fundamental area of of vulnerability as I watch the hearings. It is not about assault at this point. I suspect that we're not going to get any great answers about what happened in, in, in rooms decades ago. The question is now, the judge is on the record over the course of many hours talking in open session with the Senate about his behavior, about who he was. That's going to come up in these conversations. The FBI Mm. is not there to judge who he was, and they're not there to determine whether he's credible or not. They're going to talk to 10, 20, 30, 40 people about who he was, because that obviously corresponds to allegations about what he did with women. If the bottom line, SC, if what they say is fundamentally different about what he told that Senate Mm. committee, if I'm a senator, I'm saying, judge. Why weren't you, we call it candor? Why, why did you have a lack of candor with us? In my mm. own business, that lack of candor will get you fired if that's what they find. Uh, lastly, this is, you know, like the umpteenth time now that the FBI has been dragged into a political, a political moment. Um, do you worry about the effect our politics is having on sort of the climate and law enforcement? A little bit. I mean, surprisingly, Essie, I think less than people who come up to me in grocery stores, they sit there and say, you know, can the FBI recruit people? Are the FBI people leaving? I mean, I think we're, we're 20 months into a lot of questions from the president about the FBI's credibility. Mm-hmm. I don't worry yet if we go on for years, maybe even multiple mm-hmm. presidencies where people say your federal authorities, including federal mm-hmm. law enforcement, don't trust you. They're the deep state. I would worry mm-hmm. then the DNA of FBI agents and analysts yeah. is so deep right now. I think they're tired of this, but they're also mm-hmm. saying we know what to do. We'll investigate so far. So good. But not in five years if we continue okay. this path. Phil Mudd, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. After the break, the DOJ's embattled number two official gets ready for the biggest meeting of his professional life. Guess who made a surprising cameo during yesterday's Kavanaugh confirmation drama? Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. That guy. Senators Jeff Flake and Chris Coons reportedly called Rosenstein during their 11th hour meeting to ask whether or not the FBI would be able to complete a supplemental investigation within a one-week time, and the deputy AG assured them that they could. Of course, Rosenstein has his own problems these days after reports that he suggested wearing a wire to secretly record President Trump, a comment that was either sarcastic or super serious, depending on whom you ask. The fate of his job as the Justice Department's number two official 
remains an open question. Not only is Rosenstein potentially facing the ire of the president over his comments, but also an impeachment effort by House Republicans. Perhaps in the hopes of cooling things down, Rosenstein agreed yesterday to sit down for a closed-door session with members of the House Freedom Caucus next week. Rosenstein is also expected to meet with President Trump next week. However, the two did speak over the phone this week. During a freewheeling Wednesday press conference, Trump said that he favored keeping Rosenstein on in his current role. I'm talking to him. We've had a good talk. He said he never said it. He said he doesn't believe it. He said he has a lot of respect for me. And he was very nice, and we'll see. My preference would be to keep him and to let him finish up. President's final decision seems to be in a holding pattern as the White House continues to focus its attention on Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation. But once his fate is sealed, what happens with Rod Rosenstein's fortunes at the DOJ? To help me with the political math on this, let me bring in CNN political commentator, Democratic strategist Hillary Rosen. Hillary, uh, Democrats were really exercised you know, two weeks ago, a lifetime ago, over the possibility Hard that President Trump, I know, it's a lot going on, President Trump may fire him. Um, how do you think the Kavanaugh confirmation has so far impacted that Rosenstein drama? Well, it clearly created enough of a distraction for the White House that it gave the president a little bit of time to cool off. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really important, I think. The... Yeah. You know, the, the, the White House has to make a calculation. Actually, I should say the president, because he doesn't listen to anybody else in the White House. We know that. Yeah. His calculation is, do I risk getting rid of him now and, you know, having sort of this paper trail of investigation and attacks and the like when uh, the Democrats take the House in the midterm elections and therefore I'm going to just be subject to more and more scrutiny mm. or... Do I, you know, listen to my House colleagues complain in my ear all the time about how Rosenstein and Bob Mueller are trying to screw me? I, right. You know, and so it's like the devil on your shoulder, the, on, on both shoulders. And I think right. that, you know, the president's smart move is clearly not to fire Rosenstein, which is why mm. he probably will fire him. <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, in the midst of all of this, um, in the midst of this hearing, he could have fired Rod Rosenstein, and it sort of would have uh, gotten buried. Um, what do you? What does it say to you that he didn't take that opportunity, and that he is sort of in a, a wait and see pattern? I don't think it would get buried. Um, I, I don't think that there is um, a chance in hell that firing Rod Rosenstein now, before we have any Mueller conclusions. Yeah. Would, um, is something that, that America would ignore, that Congress would ignore. Even some Republicans couldn't really afford hmm. to ignore it. I think that, you know, Rosenstein going up to the House and kowtowing to the conservatives mm -hmm. in the Freedom Caucus to, you know, go to Trump's toady, Trey Gowdy, and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I said those mean things. Um, you know, that, that will keep his job for a while. And I, hmm. I think, frankly, you know, the country's better off with the stability. Absolutely. Um, now, Democrats have been cautious in talking about impeachment leading up to the midterms, some more cautious than others. But do you think if he if he did fire Rosenstein, that impeachment talk, impeachment of Trump, that is not Rosenstein, there's, um, would he there's so many people to impeach. It's like 
you know, we've got <laughs> judges on the left, right? Yeah. So I, I think that, um, you know, uh, firing a deputy attorney general is not in and of itself grounds for impeachment. Essie, as you know, I think, yeah. um, you know, they're going to have to find a, uh, you know, a line that says he's doing it for obstruction of justice purposes, as opposed to just he's not being, you know, nice to me and I don't like Bob Mueller. I, I think it. Look, House Democrats are not uh, stupid. Uh, this leadership has been around a long time. Even mm -hmm. new leadership coming in, uh, they understand that the president is the president, and their first job is to find facts to get at truth to make sure that health care doesn't get decimated, to make sure that, you know, um, uh, the economy keeps growing. What they are going to do, though, is a lot of investigations and figure out, yeah. you know, who is tearing this government apart uh, in the Trump administration. And if something leads to corruption or illegal mm -hmm. activity on, on behalf of the president, then maybe that, you know, instigate impeachment. But that is not going to be the first thing they do. Good. That was my final question. What <laughs> will this be the first thing they do? You answered it, Hillary. Thank you I so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, there. Take care. Next, President Trump is ready for round two with Kim Jong Un. But does North Korea want to hit pause on the whole thing? While all eyes were on the Senate Judiciary Committee this week, President Trump made some news on the world stage, announcing at the UN General Assembly meetings that he was ready to resume talks with North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un. This morning, as those U.N. meetings continue, North Korea responded. North Korea's Minister for Foreign Affairs, Ri Young-ho, said that the country will in no way unilaterally disarm its nuclear program without first building trust. He affirmed a, quote, unwavering commitment to further talks with the U.S., but that the primary goal was to bring down the barrier of mistrust between the two countries, which has existed for several decades. That's obviously a far cry from the total denuking Trump has promised. Sounds like the North Korea, North Korea wants to hit the slow-mo button. So what's next? Let's talk to CNN. National security analyst Sam Vinograd. Um, Sam, Trump talked very optimistically at uh, the UNGA meetings this week and sort of confidently uh, about North Korea and another Kim Jong-un meeting. Were you surprised at the tough tone that the foreign minister took today? Not at all. This is the North Korean uh, tale as old as time, right? Ever since negotiations have happened under various administrations, they want more for less, whether it's food aid or sanctions relief. Yeah. And that's continued under this administration. They have said overtly, there's no classified information here, they want sanctions relief. They want an end to the yeah. Korean War before they actually denuclearize. But, Essie, I don't blame them for actually questioning whether to trust the United States here. Mm. The most recent example of denuclearization that they have to look at is not the Libya model, it's the Iran model, right. under which Iran gave away most of its nuclear program. And yeah. guess what? We backed out of a deal. Uh -huh. So we do not look like a credible interlocutor here, which sure. makes them say, hey, why should we do this without getting something up front? So what do you think Trump's next move will be? I think that the president is so thirsty to show that he's making progress that he'll continue citing red herrings. He stood on mm -hmm. the floor of the U.N. General Assembly 
and said, look at this historic amount of progress we're making on denuclearization. Right. But guess what he cited? The return of prisoner of war remains, mm. the end of missile tests, and the potential dismantle- dismantlement of testing sites. None of those things, the last time that I checked, have anything to do with denuclearization. Right. So he's citing things saying that North Korea yeah. is taking steps that they should get credit for that, again, are complete red herrings. Uh, let me move on to some other world news. Just yesterday, the State Department uh, ordered all non-essential personnel to leave the U.S. consulate in Basra, uh, Iraq citing security threats from Iran. Earlier this week, there was talk of a Trump meeting with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani. But is this uh, this um, ordering of non-essential personnel to leave in, in Iraq, is that an escalating of tensions? Is that bringing Trump and Rouhani closer to a meeting? I think it's bringing them further apart. Yeah. But gosh, this is bringing up a lot of memories for me. I remember mm-hmm. flying into Basra during, in 2007 and Iranian rockets hitting the tarmac as we mm-hmm. arrived. Not much has changed, unfortunately, in the 11 years since wow. then. I think we should expect the Iranian militias to actually escalate activity against U.S. assets in the region because the regime actually feels like it's under attack. Mm. The U.S. government is launching a very public campaign overtly against the regime. Mm-hmm. They say it's not regime change, it's regime and uh, change, they're seeking a change in regime behavior. Mm. So how does Iran strike back? Well, right. where it has a competitive edge, which candidly is against U.S. assets in the region. So I would imagine that mm. the State Department with the intelligence community is really reviewing the safety and security of personnel throughout the region. Well, we have, as you know, we have assets in Yemen, we have assets in Syria, we have assets uh, all all over there. Um, Finally, moving on to Venezuela, like I said, it's been a very busy week on the world stage. And, you know, a lot of the oxygen has been eaten up by by the Kavanaugh hearings, but this is important too. President Trump this week hinted at taking military action in Venezuela over President Nicolas Maduro's um, strongman policies and, and crimes against humanity, as a number of countries are are calling them. Yesterday, Maduro said that a meeting with Trump would be for the best. How would that go? Gosh, that would be uh, quite a meeting. They'd right. probably want to trade notes on some sort of uh, censorship to, uh, activities, to say the least. But I actually think Maduro likes the saber rattling by President Trump. Oh. One, because it's something that Maduro can point to and see, I told you, mm. the United States is against Venezuela. I'm the one that you should rally around. And he uses the United States Mm. as a very convenient external enemy and distraction Mm -hmm, tactic. mm -hmm. And so that plays to his favor. But also because our allies in Latin America have come out against the U.S. military strike. So the more that this narrative is out there, the more divided we look from Colombia, from Brazil and others. Sam Vinograd, thanks so much, as always, for joining me on Weekend Warriors. Uh, That's it for us. But don't go anywhere. Up next, Van Jones sits down with the diverse female candidates who are shaking up the political establishment on both sides of the aisle. Plus, he talks to actress and activist America Ferreira. Stick around for The Van Jones Show. That's next on CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.